Hello and welcome on The Barricades. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. I'm your host, Maria Cernat, an academic based in Bucharest. And with me, as usual, is the co-host of the show, the Bulgarian-born Polish journalist Bojan Stanislavski. Thank you for being here with us. And... Our special guest, political scientist Stanislav Bishop, teaching at Moscow State University and author of a book that analyzes the events taking place that took place in uh, Ukraine in 2014 and uh, also political analyst and commentator. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. So we discussed a little bit your perspective on the way the Western media is describing Russia and also why the war was such a bad idea. But now I would like Boyan to ask a question because unfortunately he will be forced to leave this and to take care of other things. And please, Boyan, please go ahead with your question right. and hopefully we'll be able to hear the answer. Right, right. Of course. Uh, first of all, Stanislav, I want to express my gratitude for you, you know, accepting the invitation, because what is very important for me is not so much to kind of, you know, like some of our viewers encourage us to organize debates and to, you know, to have like clashing views and stuff. I think this is this has a certain charm and a certain kind of it can be spectacular at certain moments. But I, I think it's very valuable to do what we are actually doing, which is to give floor to people with contradictory uh, sorry, with contradicting views, not that you have contradictory views yourself, but that contradict other views that were expressed on our on our uh, platform here. And, uh, you know, I, what I find very valuable is is you as a person who is against the 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 main what, what today appears to be the main weight, the, the heavy weight of the of the Russian politics. You go against that. But at the same time, you're not, you know, unhinged like you're not. Like Putin is crazy. Putin should be shot. Putin should be assassinated. Putin is the devil. But you, you know, you're not like you, you try to analyze things in a rational and ethical uh, and political, of course, since you're a political scientist, manner, and you come to certain conclusions, and people can agree or disagree with them. But I think it's really valuable to to show, to present to the public that hey, I mean, you want to talk about your, you know, you being against the war, and you want to talk to someone who is who is actually a rational person and wants to talk about it and they are from Russia, well, there you have it. Like you have Stanislav, you have other people, of course. But uh, but I think it's very important to be able to show that what you referred to in the in the first uh, in the first segment, you said that you hate the media describing the Russians without a, a pinch of nuance, right? That Russians, there are only two types of Russians for uh, for the Polish and for the collective West, if you like. Russians who support Putin and Russians who are against him but in a manner which is psychotic like you know you you can't really take those people seriously uh and uh and this is this is something that is very important for me and hopefully also something uh important for you and for your for people like with your profile or your mindset in russia that you know there are russians who are against the war and they are still sharp in their mind and they can discuss normally and putin and all the rest of it so so that's uh, that's um, and and that's my first question really relates to that. I mean, how do you feel? I have three questions, okay? How do you feel in Russia today, in the Russian society, with, with, with this, in this particular moment in time, in this situation, with this, these politics in place, with this support of the state or Putin slash the state, as you explained in the previous segment, how do you feel as a, I, I, I presume, a tiny minority 
how do you kind of cope with with the whole thing when you come to to speak to other people you know you want to explain your position you know are you shouted at are you taken seriously are you dismissed immediately you know i'm i'm just curious how do you find your way in the russian society which is much more colorful i believe than you know the polish or bulgarian which are you know tiny tiny communes basically in in uh, in comparison quantitatively to russia well uh i of course i feel myself as a minority but not in a sense that you alluded to uh mm. i feel myself a minority as a uh college uh, educated phd uh holding millennial uh and if we uh look at the opinion polls these kind of persons like 40 minus uh with uh with a degree or with college education living in big cities the majority of this group to which i belong they oppose the war mm-hmm. right in this case i'm in, in this case i i i know uh the group i'm i belong to at the same time uh of course the the general mood even uh among those who at least publicly support the war effort and claim that we will win no matter what it's clear that we will win and we are winning against all odds etc etc still the general mood is depressive uh even those like whose work is to propagandize all these mm-hmm. things they of course they 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 understand that uh something is completely wrong uh i mean i'm i'm a commuter i don't have a car i use metro and so i haven't seen so much sad people for a year right so uh in in the previous uh in the previous years so every time when i uh go down the uh underground and i commute to to the center i look at the people so they are much sadder than they used to be they uh they laugh uh rarely even though a year ago etc it was a uh it was a, a noisy place the moscow metro right so it's 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 seen uh, in, in people's eyes when i uh roam the streets i see it in the people in people's eyes especially men especially over over uh conscriptive age mm-hmm. right so in this case i mean it's it's clear that people understand that something is something is uh, wrong and something is out of place especially certain uh, certain holidays uh they are not as as funny uh, and as uh, you know as optimistic as as they used to be uh at the same time i mean the problem the general problem of course is that uh, uh it is hard to imagine a world after this war and especially russia after this war uh because uh i know that uh well ge- you cannot be geography so russia and ukraine will be uh neighbors right and will we will share a long border so and uh Russia and the European Union also will be uh, neighbors. So how can we like uh overcome this conflict and uh, start to uh start to come to our senses and start to uh, trade again uh to to travel again etc etc because it's it's easier to break something. Yeah, that's my that's my second question by the way. So let me throw it in right now. So you know that's that's true of course that you know geography is geography this is the material world and you know you cannot escape from it unless you really want to you know get somewhere into your fantasies and and you know never never leave your room and and stay in your bed forever so that's 
that's something that has to be acknowledged. But now the question is, and I've asked pretty pretty much every guest that we've had on the show recently, and I'm going to you know pose the question, put the question to you as well. We are facing, for sure, like regardless of what the 95 people, 95% of people in Ukraine support in terms of their military response, what it should be and when will they accept peace. We've spoken about that in the previous segment. Uh, you know, regardless of that, we are facing some kind of petitioning of Ukraine. Like I, you know, it's very difficult for me to imagine, and I believe for you it's also difficult to imagine, regardless of your criticism towards the current political establishment and their decisions with regards to war, but that, you know, Russia is going to give up and say, ah, okay, you know, meh, those referendums, all those things, okay, you know, yeah, we've had it, whatever. Let's, we're, we're just going to be satisfied with just Donbass, and that's that's fine. And Crimea, of course. So, you know, the question, the question really seems to be how far is... Uh, how far is Russia be willing to go? How, what is what is going to be interpreted as a success, and what can be mm-hmm. sold as a success to the public opinion in Russia by uh, you know the current administration? So, how far do you think they have to go in order to be able, uh, in their in their perception, to interpret it as a success that they that will afterwards translate into more support for them, uh, you know, at home. And, you know, after this, after this is finally somehow agreed upon, I don't know how it will ever happen, but let's say for the sake of the conversation that it is agreed upon that, you know, Ukraine loses this much territory and, you know, it's left with some rump state uh, and this state, you know, is going to be the new home to uh, West Ukrainians or, I don't know, Central Ukrainians or those who are more inclined to identify themselves as Ukrainians according to the West Ukrainian, former West Ukrainian pattern. And I wonder whether this is something that Russia will cons- will will interpret as a loss. I mean, in a sense that they they kept repeating from the beginning, we will never allow anti-Russia at our doorstep. Well... If nothing changes, you are going to have anti-Russia. It's just going to be a smaller one. But on the other hand, it's going to be pretty much more intense anti-Russia than the whole of the Ukraine until now. So, you know, I wonder, like, when you draw the line, where do you end exactly? Like, what is yes. your take on those nuances? Uh, that's exactly what uh, I spoke about when I said that uh, this war, uh, it's basically... Uh, gives us uh, more troubles than it solves. And Ukraine being a unified anti-Russian entity is now uh, a a done deal. Mm -hmm. It uh, it has already become more anti-Russian than it has ever been in in the history of its territory. Moreover, uh, speaking about defending the Russian language, uh, some of my acquaintances in Ukraine, who were and are, I guess, Russian speakers, now they switched to Ukrainian on their social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a techno blogger from Odessa who now uh, relocated to maybe to Romania or to some Central Europe, who who is a Russian uh, Russian speaker. Now he is tending to towards switching to Ukrainian, but I haven't seen one instance of the reverse process. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Once again, more troubles. 
if you speak about what uh, could be sold to the general public in Russia as victory, well, it's it's rather easy to to answer. Uh, Donbas, meaning the two breakaway republics, Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics, uh, in its uh, in their uh, old uh, in their old uh, administrative borders, uh, plus Crimea, of course, and plus something of a, a land corridor to uh, to Crimea from from Russia proper or from Donbas to uh, to Crimea uh, to the north of the Azov Sea. So basically, what we have now on the map, uh, it is it would be okay for for Moscow and, and it would uh, claim victory, I think. But the problem is that uh, it doesn't seem that Kiev agrees to to grant Russia even even this, even Crimea. Uh, that's that's indeed problematic. And you know, uh, I'm thinking about this uh, uh, this war between between China and Taiwan in the late 1970s. Now, China lost. China and Vietnam. China and Vietnam. Oh, yeah, sure. China and Vietnam. And China lost. But uh, according to their official history, they won. But they won. Uh, They they interpret uh, the fact that they had to retreat, that it was not their initial idea to actually capture some territory. Uh, They claim that they just uh, gave a lesson to these people. Yeah, yeah, but this is this is funny you should actually mention it because that's that's exactly my 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 last question was going to be precisely about Vietnam and China and now, you know, I I realize the analogy is not very accurate here, but I still want to use it because you know in in the throughout my kind of political journalistic experience, I've learned, I've come to learn to to believe in the power of forgiveness, you know, I, I realize it sounds a little strange, you know, especially from a Marxist and so on, but I really believe in this. And and I also believe that, you know, adult people, especially adult political people, you know, including adult communists and so on and so forth, they should be able to forgive much more than a rage. You know, this is something very, very important. I think it, it also creates a sense of responsibility in politics. And I think the question of Vietnam and China today speaks volumes about this. And I wonder whether we can even imagine in a kind of sci-fi, uh, you know, sort of parts of our imagination, this kind of uh, this kind of thing, this kind of process repeating itself in some form between Russia and Ukraine, whatever is going to be left of Ukraine. Because, you know, there, was a, there has been a lot of resentment since the late 70s between Vietnam and China, despite the fact that those two countries, they belong to... to to the kind of very generally speaking socialist communist bloc okay and and there's been a lot of resentment between vietnamese communists and chinese communists because of those uh, events of the of the late 1970s and now when i listen to chinese officials and vietnamese officials you know when they when they keep when they keep improving their their relations when they keep you know reestablishing Mm, the kind of aspects of relations that had fallen that have fallen due to what had happened in the 70s they they say exactly this we have had difficult times in the past and now we don't care about that anymore now we build a new future now we overcome the resentments of the past they didn't use the word forgive probably but they've used a lot the word we're sorry for it 
both the Chinese and, and the Vietnamese, regardless of what they write in their history books, that's going to stay there for generations. But they say, we, we are sorry about it. This was a great mistake. It should not have happened. And now we have to look forward, not, not, not backward. Do you think that, you know, anything, even a tiny proportion of this kind of process, which I admire personally, I, I, when I see this kind of attitude, I see adults in the room. And, and just a reminder, politics is, is a game for adult people. And, and then do you think that it will ever, ever, you know, within our lifetime, maybe lifetimes happen, you know, between whatever is going to be left of Ukraine and, and Russia? Absolutely. I think uh, the more uh, the more uh, closely uh, relating example uh, uh, from from history of wars is not that. And of course, not the Second World War, because mm-hmm. it's ridiculous to equate Russia either with Nazi Germany or with the Soviet Union and Ukraine with once again, this or that. But the Balkan Wars, with Russia being Serbia and Ukraine being, well, Croatia. Croatia, mm-hmm. Right, so what do they have now? They have a lot of resentment, but at the same time, uh, the people-to-people contacts between Serbs and Croats, they are frequent, right? So they tend not to raise certain issues, but at the same time, they, of course, understand, especially those of, of a younger generations, that it's better to... It's better to trade than to, to fight wars because, well, what's the point? I think the same, the same applies to, to our current situation uh, that uh, uh, basically, yes, there, there, will be, there will be troubles. But uh, my, uh, as I see one of my, let's say, tasks as a, as a public speaker, for example, is to, uh, to uh, tell people and to, uh, to teach people not to overgeneralize about the Russian nation and the Ukrainian nation. Well, these are abstractions. There are people, including those people who have committed certain crimes against, including crimes against humanity, right? But at the same time, there are other people, people of goodwill, people who will try to, to do their best. For example, I personally, I uh, from time to time, I donate money for, uh, uh, for uh, refugees, uh, from this conflict uh, and for uh, uh, portable heaters for those who are still in uh, uh, in Mariupol because the uh, city has been, well, almost totally destroyed during this uh, war. So there, there are people. Uh, and if we start to uh, consider ourselves as just regular people of flesh and blood and of certain uh, of, uh, of, of, the, of the will to live, like, no matter what our nationality, that's important, uh, but I, 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 unfortunately, both uh, on both sides now I see uh, m- most uh, what I see of uh, coming for, which which comes from uh, from uh, from uh, popular speakers uh, is uh, too much too much hatred and too much generalizations. Uh, that's it. But w- once again, uh, it's in the end. I mean, from a practical point of view. Once again, uh, it's it's better and it's more comfortable to to live in peace and to trade than to uh, to war and to uh, to, to go on uh, uh, fighting uh, for 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 nobody knows what, right? For uh, that's that's it. And uh, we, sh- we shall once again return to to the issue of psychology. If you if you generalize, uh, that's that's a problem. But if you start to uh, to be more nuanced, more specific in your attitude towards other people, when it it can help in negotiations. 
Right. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot. I have to go, unfortunately, because I have another meeting online with a client, and and I, I just cannot skip that. But uh, I want to thank you for the for the, those answers. I still have more questions, but I hope I will be able to ask them next time you agree to come on our show again. So thanks, everyone, and I uh, I have to leave now. Bye. Thank you. Okay. So now, just the two of us. So look, I want to ask the following thing. Why was Russia not learning its lesson from the Cold War? I mean, what do I mean by that? By analyzing what happened, I think in terms of science, in terms of weaponry, in terms of military, in terms of everything, um, the USSR was able to compete with the United States. But in terms of propaganda, it lost in a spectacular manner. The fact that the Russian leaders never had to win elections made them very poor competitors for the very slick, very able um, American politicians. I mean, even today, when you look at Vladimir Putin, he seems so rigid. He seems so unappealing. Now, compare that to somebody not like Trump, because he was this accident that I think it was even worse than Putin in terms of his appearance and everything else in terms of its PR, even though for some people it might have been, you know, uh, attractive and uh, appealing. But, but compare that to somebody like Obama, you know. Someone had so much knowledge on how to present things and how to speak and how to, to, you know, conquer and how to conquer by words and using words and PR. And I understand that Russia has so much resources and they haven't learned their lesson and they haven't learned that it is so important to control the narrative. And what would I have done had I been Vladimir Putin, I would have invested tons, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into NGOs promoting peace in Ukraine, into NGOs portraying the, the Nazis as war criminals. I would have given scholarships to brave Ukrainians that wanted to study the true nature of the uh, Ukrainian nation in relation to Russia. And I would have encouraged a lot of, you know, scholarship, um, movies, um, um, books, cultural products to go against this monster that was being built ideologically in Ukraine. Because the idea would have been to cut off the, 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 the extremists from the general population and to show the general population the truth that these are extremists that are going to uh, transform Ukraine into a pawn for other powers and literally destroy the country for nothing. But they should have learned. I should have invested that. Actually, I think I should have hired American PR specialists to do this job. Because I don't think, I mean, probably you have it, but I don't think you have in Russia so many cynical, slick PR specialists able to fight this information war that is based not on lies, but on conquering people, you know, and exerting soft power. So this is my biggest disappointment because you have so much resources. And unfortunately, the, the Kremlin regime decided to use it um, uh, in investing in weapons, 
were not and they have not used it to invest in controlling the narrative and fighting the war for people's minds, you know, not for the land, as you said. Uh, well, uh, generally speaking, you, you Maria, has uh, already answered your own question. It's the lack of competitiveness and rigidity. You know, uh, recently I've been reading a book on McCarthyism in the United States, and mm -hmm. uh, it also deals with the uh, American Communist Party, which was uh, a branch or a subsidiary uh, to the Soviet Communi Communist Party. And they had the same problem. On the one hand, uh, this American Communist Party wanted, obviously, to uh, raise the issues that were of importance to the working class in the United States, but at the same time, given the fact that were, they were under the uh, rigid control of Moscow, they had to speak about things that were not relevant to, to the Americans, but they, that were uh, uh, according, uh, that were in line with the, uh, with the party ideology in Moscow. And at the same time, they also had to uh, had to publicly defend certain moves by the uh, by by Moscow that were quite unpopular among the uh, American working class. For example, the uh, non-aggression pact between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany of 1939. So, and they had to they had to defend it even uh, under the uh, under the pressure of their own uh, constituents in the United States. They had no other option because they were uh, uh, they were a subsidiary to to the uh, to the Kremlin. The same applies to RT and all other branches of Russia's soft power. Yes, they uh, prior to to the war uh, they did well. Some of them did a good job, and I know uh, several people uh, in in the English speaking world, for example, in French speaking world, who regularly watched RT. Because they they uh, they uh, uh, thought that uh, it provided a generally a more balanced information, of course, related to what's happening in the West, not what's happening in Russia, obviously, right? But at the same time, I mean, they, uh, but but after the after the launch of the special military operation by Russia, you know, when we speak about like uh, the battle of narratives and the uh, the battle of ideas, well, I think some physical actions are generally impossible to uh, impossible to defend in the realm of ideas. I mean, even those uh, right-wing populist parties in Europe who used to be considered like pro-Russian, uh, uh, pro-Russian uh, pro uh, lobby groups, even okay. they decided obviously uh, to distance from Moscow's action because, well, because their uh, German or uh, French or Austrian uh, political parties, not Russian political parties, right? So they had to, uh, to, to be able to, uh, to get elected, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that's problematic indeed. And at the same time, of course, I mean, to return to your question, I mean, it's the general lack uh, in this rigid uh, political system uh, that we have in Russia. It's a general lack of... Uh, uh, negative feedback right so uh, if you are in the system if you're in this it, it's it, it it does not uh, uh belong to to russia alone i mean all the bureaucratic systems are uh, to some extent they are let's say prone to 
uh, negative feedback because you don't want to criticize your boss because mm-hmm. boss could be a psychopath and who could uh, uh, basically uh, consider your negative feedback as a personal attack against him. That your negative feedback means that your boss is stupid, even though it's not the case, right? So you, if you want to stay inside this uh, uh, vertical of power, so to speak, you have to to shut your mouth in certain actions or to uh, to look the other way, right? And to say, well, everything is fine, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you even if you dare, uh, like uh, raise your negative feedback, if your boss is sympathetic with you, he would just uh, he would not let your let's say your negative feedback go uh, upstream to other uh, branches of this of the to, to the higher uh, echelons of this of this structure that's the problem because once again uh, to, to return to to my initial point about this interview i gave like uh, on the third day of war i mean I, I i could predict it everything i mean i'm not uh, advertising myself i say that but i'm i'm not uh, operating inside this this bureaucracy so that's why I, I, I can like see through these narratives. I, I, I know that the, the idea that uh, Ukraine is a made-up country uh, 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 fr- from this, you cannot infer that Ukrainians themselves consider their nations as an artificial object and they will, no, will not uh, fight to defend their artificial object. Let's think about religions. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. an artificial thing, but still uh, people fought for their religion, uh, for for generations, uh, for uh, for centuries, etc. So that's it. But the, the, it, it is the rigidity of the system. So they cannot not understand these uh, peculiarities. They cannot understand that uh, if something is an artificial object, it doesn't seem that it's worthless, right? At the same time, I think there there was this mis- misperception of the uh, Ukrainian political system. It's different from Russian. They do not have well now. They have during this this time of war. They have uh, developed this vertical of power. With <laughs> but before that, it was well. It was like a it was a balancing coalition uh, uh, between certain like pressure groups, oligarchs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So nothing reminding of uh, today's Russia. But the Kremlin, I think, I thought that uh, made this. Uh, uh, conclusions that Ukraine is something like Russia because they're Russians, right? So they they have the same uh, uh, the same power structures as Russia. So we can capture Kiev, install our uh, like pro-Russian president, and uh, and and leave leave the country. By the way, uh, it was it was publicly stated by none other than Silvio Berlusconi, a former uh, Italian prime minister, who said yes, that the, the, the uh, Putin's plan was not to invade Ukraine and not to occupy Ukraine, but which is, I think, the case because uh, the the uh, the Russian uh, the Russian uh, group, uh, wa- the Russian military uh, personnel was uh, two hundred thousand uh, in the initial stage of the conflict, and Ukraine is a big country, so you cannot occupy a thirty-five like million uh, con- uh, strong country with uh, two hundred thousand uh, troops. So it's impossible. So the key idea was to sort of to capture Kiev to somehow. Change the president, even though it's it, it, it's it's hard to imagine because well, Ukrainians they are used to to uh, uh, to uh, electing their presidents and to overthrowing their presidents. How can you just install your own guy and then leave and then uh, like count on his uh, forever loyalty and and moreover count count 
on the loyalty of the Ukrainian nations, of the Ukrainian nation uh, to this person whom you installed. So, I mean, even even if uh, even if uh, uh, Russia's uh, military operation succeeded in the initial days of the operation, still, uh, it's impossible to to imagine how it would perpetuate itself because it's yes. a structure. That, that's one of the tragedies of this war. So now it's not a blitzkrieg. Now it's the war of attrition, as we know, the war of resources, including human resources and including uh, military technologies provided by the West to, to Ukraine. But still, even if Russia succeeded, it would be like it, it would pose more problems because now you you like you have two countries to 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 look after, not just your country, but now Ukraine. You have to do, do something with it. That that's. That that's that's the tragedy of the situation. And uh, uh, to return to to my uh, key point of psychology, right? So uh, if if you're a weak mind, uh, you cannot tolerate the tragedy of the situation, and you uh, come up with these explanations that uh, they had a dirty bomb they that they wanted to to attack us with, or they had like uh, clandestine uh, chemical experiments and they wanted to like to destroy our dna or something something like this but if you are a like a more stable psychologically we just understand that yes it's a bad thing it has been bad decision from day one and now we uh we're in a situation in which uh it's it's impossible to uh to uh to think about a, a settlement that would uh be Uh, acceptable. On that note, I, I would say that now, on the contrary, I think now it would be the, the best time to end this because Russia has made important territorial gains. Ukraine has not lost too much and maybe I think from an outsider point of view, I have no skin in the game, so I don't really care, but I think that that would be the best time to end it and still save face for the both sides, you know, because Ukraine, of course, lost, but lost territory that were ethnically dominated by Russians. So who cares? Um, Russia protected its citizens. And now I think it will be the best time to end this. Well, uh, it's naive, but yeah, the, the problem is that Uh, from the Russian standpoint, from my own standpoint, and, and in this case, from the standpoint of the authorities, that would, would be a good way. But the Ukrainian side doesn't seem to be okay with this. That's uh, one of the problems, because uh, you... you now they uh, are so infuriated that they don't want to settle moreover, for anything. Yes, moreover, the problem is that they are being constantly emboldened by the, by the West by these uh, military shipments and by the med media coverage that, oh, you brave mm -hmm. Ukrainians, you have to fight. So, uh, I mean, that, that, that's the point. So, uh, and of course, if you are winning or if you feel that you can win, uh, you, you do not accept these uh, settlements like you propose. That's, that's the one, that, that's the problem. So uh, that's, once again, if you are infuriated and emboldened by, by the big brother, In this case, well, why not? Why not go on fighting? Uh, that's it, it's bad for 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 either side and also for for the world in general. But uh, well, uh, that's it. And moreover, uh, one more thing: it's 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 important to notice that the the tragedy, one of the tragedies of the situation, is that according to the official statements by by 
by the Russian leadership, by the Ukrainian leadership, by the uh, leaderships of the EU and the United States. It's not about like a territorial dispute over borders between Russia and Ukraine. Now it is more than that. Russia is fighting to append the unipolar uh, America-centric world and uh, fights for the multipolar world and something like this. At the same time, Western powers fight for democracy against autocracy, right? So in this case, nobody seems to care about Ukraine as Ukraine. Yes, besides, very good point. Besides from Ukraine. And that's, that's, uh, that's this uh, evil generalization I'm, I'm, I'm fighting against. So they generalize. So it's not about Ukraine. It's about like a bigger uh, imaginary world in which you have these poles and uh, geopolitics and all that crap. That that's sad, but people people still die, but they still like fight these imaginary wars about like a uh, uh, multipolar world or something like this, or saving democracy from uh, from autocracy. That's 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 the one of the tragedies of the situation. Well, thank you so much for the insightful comments, and I think we should make a habit of having you on because it's very important to have people whose countries are directly involved in this and have a skin in the game because they are somehow directly affected by this and to offer voice to uh, many people. I think we are, I think I would dare to say we are the only channel where we have a Russian that is criticizing Kremlin and we had an American that was pro-Kremlin and that is pretty much unique. <laughs> so the viewers, if you to the viewers now, thank you so much for your comments and the, the viewers, if they like what they saw, of course, we have a small community of donors. We are very grateful. We hope to rely more and more on the help of our viewers because it's also a point of validation for us. It means that we are important enough for people to support our efforts here to bring important, valuable, plural points of view, offering a more nuanced perspective and balanced perspective on things. Thank you so much and see you all in our next edition of the show.